Welcome to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast, a Canadian real estate podcast that shows you how to pay off your mortgage sooner and live well while doing it. Now, here's your host, Sean Cooper. Welcome to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast. I'm Sean Cooper, and it's great to be back for another episode. On today's show, I'll be talking to Limor Markman. Limor is a real estate investor and money expert. She worked for over a decade marketing financial products for some of Canada's largest banks and has always had a deep curiosity for how money works. Limor began educating herself in real estate and always kept a keen eye on growing money faster and generating passive income. Two and a half years into her real estate venture, Limor was able to leave her six-figure corporate job with real estate funding her life. Today, Limor has investments in Ontario, Manitoba, as well as Alberta, and has experience in numerous investing strategies. Since January 2015, Limor has been teaching real estate investing seminars across the country and helping first-time homebuyers purchase their dream homes. In my interview with Limor, we discuss why now is still a great time to buy real estate, some of the more unique ways to invest in real estate, and how to become a better real estate negotiator. Without further ado, here's my interview with Limor Markman. Hi, Limor. Thanks for joining me on the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me here. Oh, my pleasure. We'd just like to first off start by asking you, you have quite a unique and interesting story. Tell us about your journey from the corporate world to being a successful real estate investor and entrepreneur. What have you learned along the way? Yeah, well, my journey's definitely been an an interesting one. And it's funny because when I look at it in hindsight, it makes total sense. But at the time, there were definitely moments where I was like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? Does this make sense? Where am I going with this? So as a background, I've actually always been somebody who's been super fascinated with money, even growing up and, and throughout high school was always trying to figure out how do I make more money? How do I save my money? You know, I think part of it comes from the fact that like, I had a bank account for as a very young child. And I remember I had this like bank book and it would be updated. And so, you know, always had a a fascination. And I graduated university, went to work in the banking industry, worked for some of Canada's largest financial institutions. And it really gave me a chance to see how the banks made money and what mistakes customers were making that were really costing them money. And so, you know, as a result of that started really informally just because it was something that I loved and people around me were curious in my corporate career, just holding informal workshops. It'd be like Friday afternoon, we're talking about RSPs and anybody had questions who would show up. Like I said, always was fascinated and then found myself one day at a real estate investing seminar. You know, we always see these ads, we get flyers in the paper or mailed to our door and I got one and I thought, okay, this is really interesting. And I went for, you know, a two hour free seminar and it was like, I think a few hundred bucks to take the next three day session. And I signed up for that and I literally sat there for the full three days with my jaw on the ground being like, holy crap, like I've been in the banking industry. I know about money. I know what investing, but 
no one's ever taught me about this before. So from there, signed up basically for every single class that they offered and started working with a mentor in the industry. And, you know, I never really had any plans to leave my corporate job. I was just kind of thinking, yeah, you know, I'd love some extra money on the side. Maybe I'll retire in my 50s. And that was really some of my motivation. But within two and a half years of investing in real estate, I was able to leave my corporate job with real estate funding my life. And the last two and a half years have been an incredible journey, really just teaching other people about investing and how about money works. And really, it's an incredible opportunity for me to be able to pursue my dream of teaching people to do the thing that I love most. That's an amazing story. Thanks so much for sharing with us. So I realize in the real estate market, there's a lot of doom and gloom and you seem to read (laughs) <laughs> Every day, lines about negativity, how there's a big housing bubble. So in your opinion, being as educated as you are about the real estate market, why is now still a great time to buy real estate despite what the naysayers are saying? Yeah, so I think that there's a couple elements to that. The first one is you have to realize that the media is out there to get viewers. Newspapers are trying to sell more copies. And I always laugh because... Not that they twist the statistics, but they pick the statistics that are the most exciting or the most scary, the ones that make you feel like the sky is falling. So sometimes they'll say, this time versus last year, we're down 40%. But this time last year, there was a different policy. And compared to where things were a month ago, things are doing just fine. Also, there's a lot of like big sweeping statements that say all of the GTA is crashing or the market prices are going down, but there's still neighborhoods where there's crazy bidding wars. So, you know, to answer the question, it kind of twofold. If you're looking to buy a home that you're going to live in, I'm not really such a big fan of trying to time the market because ultimately, if you're buying a house, it's because you're ready to stop renting. You're ready to move out of your parents' basement. Maybe you're getting married. And if you're going to have this house for 5, 10, 20 years, if you're going to be in the market, getting in when is the right time for you really is the most important thing. And, you know, I think if you're buying real estate because you're going to be investing, well, you have a lot of choice about location, about the type of strategy you're going to do. And you just need to be smart around making the right decision. But there's always a good opportunity to buy real estate, in my opinion. Oh, I totally agree. I mean, if you want to buy a home in the long run, it doesn't really matter if there's a correction in the market short term. I mean, if you're going to be living there for a decade or longer, then it's kind of a moot point in my opinion. Totally. And so it's funny when first time buyers are always like, is it a good time? And I'm like, are you ready to move out of your parents' basement? They're like, yes, please. I'm ready to go. I'm like, okay, great. The time is right. (laughs) Okay. Awesome. Speaking on the topics of uh, first time home buyers, what are some common mistakes that you see that first time home buyers make and how can these be avoided? Yeah, I think that the biggest one, and you'll hear a lot of realtors saying this too, is that people get really emotional and really excited about buying a home and they'll find one that they really like. And then there's crazy bidding wars and they go way beyond what their budget is. And they're really thinking like, oh, well, it's totally worth it. I'll just have a bigger mortgage. But if that's swallowing up all of your cash flow and you know, you're going to have this beautiful home, but no money for furniture and no money for vacations and no money to go to restaurants, it can really hamper your lifestyle. Just making sure that you're not getting too emotional, even though of course it's really exciting. And then, you know, coupled with that is just sort of blindly trusting any one person throughout the process. So whether that's your realtor or your mortgage broker or your lawyer, and while 
generally they all have your best interest at heart. You have to recognize that they're also in this to be able to do a transaction. They want to be able to close. So of course they want the best for you, but you have to recognize that their objective may not always be 100% aligned with what's in your interest and only you know that. So making sure that you're not just blindly trusting individuals and you're really checking in with yourself and your gut feeling as to whether or not it's the right purchase or the right property or the right area because you know, Sean, from when you purchase a home, like it's a roller coaster ride and like from the minute you put in the offer and there things can unfold really, really quickly. And sometimes you might end up on the other side being like, oh my gosh, what just happened? So really checking in with yourself and not just blindly trusting any one or two people on your team helping you. Especially in Toronto. I mean, I totally agree. Like when I went to buy my house, the market was red hot. And when you're having 10 offers on a house, you really have to make snap decisions and you're dealing with probably the single biggest financial transaction of your lifetime. So I totally agree. You have to know all these facts and think about them and not kind of get caught up in the moment and end up being house rich and cash poor because you end up overspending on a property. Totally. And then we find ourselves in a situation like what's been happening now is that interest rates are starting to creep up. Folks who maybe bought in the last year or two haven't gotten to renewal time, but pretty soon that time is coming and they had pretty massive mortgages in the first place. And now just a small bump in interest rate can actually really impact how much money you need to pay towards your mortgage every single month. No, that's a great point. Thank you for that. You're not only a homeowner, you actually have invested in properties. So I'd like to ask you as an expert in that area, what are some of the benefits of buying an investment property instead of just a place to live as your principal residence? Yeah, this is a really great question. I'm glad you're asking. Because I would say kind of more and more, I've even been advocating for people to buy investment property even before they buy their very first home. So when you're going to buy investment property, assuming you've done the analysis properly, assuming the property is cash flowing. So after your tenants pay the rent and you've covered all of your expenses, you have money left over. If that is in fact the case, it can be a really beneficial financial decision. And so whether you already have a first home or you don't, it's one of the ways to really start to get ahead financially. Your tenants are going to pay down the mortgage. You'll have that pay down over time. You know, markets tend to appreciate even if it's not necessarily in the short term. So it's, it's one of the ways that you can start to put money into your pocket or really start to generate a portfolio of of wealth for your future. Now, kind of getting back to the whole concept of buying rental property or investment property before you buy your first home, I'm finding that this is becoming a little bit more popular with millennials, especially those who live in big cities who are living downtown, they love the city life, but the idea of buying a home in the core of the city is like virtually impossible because of the prices. So you know, they have good incomes, they've got a little bit of savings. In many instances, it's enough to be able to buy investment property, maybe an hour and a half outside of the city where the prices are lower, their mortgageability can go a bit further. And then that way, they're still in the market. So they benefit from appreciation, they get the cash flow every month, and their life is still super flexible. So if they want to, I don't know, pick up and move to Australia for six months, they absolutely can without being hindered and they still have this significant advantage of being in the real estate market. Great. And on the topic of properties, besides buying a property, can you tell us about some of the more unique ways someone can invest in real estate? 
Yeah. So, I mean, this is one of the things that really had me with my jaw on the ground when I first started learning about real estate is I kind of thought, oh yeah, the only way to get into real estate is to save your money and put down a 20% down payment and have your tenants pay the rent. But there's actually so many other ways that in my opinion are in many instances, very much more secure and actually can get you much stronger returns. Because if you have a vacancy for even one or two months, it can absolutely ruin your cash flow for the entire year. So one of my favorites is RSP mortgages or private mortgages. And this is actually something that a lot of people don't know about. So it's inside of your RSP. So it's not about taking your money out of your RSPs. It's inside in the same way that someone would invest in a stock or mutual fund inside their RSPs. And essentially you become the lender. So you might have, you know, maybe one of the big banks could be on first mortgage, but you would be the lender for a second mortgage. So in the same way that with a bank, when you in fact have lent the money for the mortgage, you are registered on title. So it's backed by an asset. And in many instances with second mortgages, you know, you can get anywhere from maybe eight to 15% return on your money. And again, that's inside your RSP. So if you start to think about compound interest, that's way more than if you're just getting kind of three or 4%. And typically with these, there aren't any fees associated with that. When you get a return, the fees are outside of that. And it's a really, really exciting strategy for people to be able to do. And especially given that the mortgage rules have changed and evolved so much, more and more people are just not fitting into the traditional box. So, you know, maybe somebody is self-employed or they're new to the country and their credit's not fully built up, but they're excited and ready to purchase a home. They just need a little bit of help and this, this buys them some time. So it's a really great win-win to help people who are having a little bit of a tougher time with mortgages, but for us as investors, you know, it's a really phenomenal opportunity. And I do a lot of, of coaching and teaching people real estate investing. And this is one of the most popular strategies that people ask me to teach them. I mean, that's quite fascinating, especially for somebody like myself to know that there are other ways to invest in real estate. So thanks for sharing that with me. No problem. A question that I'd like to ask you, and I'm a big fan of goal setting myself as well. How has goal setting helped you to be more successful with your money? Well, setting has been huge. All the way from earlier in my life when I was a teenager, I decided I was going to do a business degree with a third year. I had an opportunity to go abroad for a full year. At the time when I was applying, I recognized while my parents were helping me with tuition, if I wanted to live in Europe for a full year, I had to fund my life. So you know, I had a good two and a half, three year one way until I went away in my third year of university. But, you know, I looked at how much I needed to save and I sort of came up with the concept that every day that I'd be in Europe, it would cost me $75. So, you know, throughout the year it was about $27,000. And that was the goal that I set for myself. And with that goal, I was able to very quickly check off, okay, one day, okay, two day. And of course I could only go for either one semester or two, there was no, oh yeah, I'm going for 35 days. But it really encouraged me and motivated me. And, you know, I took on tons of part-time jobs. And every time, you know, I had some money in my pocket, let's say I was at the mall with my friends, I really would say to myself, okay, do I want this sweater or one more day in Europe? And that made it so easy for me to really focus on what my goals were. But, you know, if I just said to myself, oh yeah, I need 27 or $30,000, 
and I didn't sort of have the micro goals kind of reaching or kind of step laddering up to get there, I don't think I would have been as motivated. I definitely saved more money than I needed to. And I had the most phenomenal year traveling all over Europe. And I think for me, that really set the tone that when I have a goal, especially with little milestones along the way, it's the best way that I'm going to get there. And it keeps me motivated and, and on track. So like you, I'm a big fan of goals and I've set many since then, but that experience will always stand out in my mind. Great. And I was curious, do you actually write down your goals on paper? I've heard that helps make yourself more accountable. It's a good question. I don't think that I write them down. I don't think I've ever written them down, but you know, I've definitely been very focused on them. And so like, I'll check in with like in that instance, like I had that goal and I was checking in every week, like how far am I? You know, I've always been someone who's tracked my net worth on like a monthly basis, on an annual basis. So, you know, while I didn't necessarily write the goal down, I knew what the number was that I was looking for to achieve whatever it is I was looking to do. So yeah, maybe I should start writing them down, but it's been working so far. Okay, great. You're always talking about the importance of developing multiple streams of income. How have you been able to accomplish this through real estate? Yeah, I mean, multiple streams of income is probably the single most important lesson that you know I like to impart with folks. And it's the one thing that I wish I could go back to my 20-year-old self and, and really instill, because it's something I really started focusing on a little bit later. But having multiple streams of income buys you a lot of flexibility in your life. It means you're never dependent on one aspect. And so this is not only something that I like to share with other people, but it's a principle that I really embody in my own finances as well. So within real estate itself, I'm engaged in a number of different strategies, rent to own, hard money lending, some wholesaling, you know, a variety of different strategy. And you know, as a result of that, some of them may have like a quarterly payout, some of them may be monthly, you know, some of them may be lump sum. So just ensuring that I've kind of got enough things going on. And I mean, I know you specifically commented on through real estate, but because of what I'm doing in real estate, I also teach real estate investing seminars across the country, and that's a stream of income. Do coaching in a one-on-one environment, and that's a stream of income. There's a lot of different nuances and I'm forever trying to think about how can I add another stream of income, especially of different varieties to make sure that I not only smooth things out, but you know, some things are on a monthly basis and some things are maybe a little bit more spread out than that. No, that's great. That's really inspirational for other entrepreneurs because if you have all your eggs in one basket with a full-time job, people think it's safe to have a full-time job. It's risky to be an entrepreneur, but if you lose that full-time job, that's 100% of your income. So I totally agree with streams of income. They're very helpful. And it's funny that you say that because you know all the time when I meet people for the first time, they're like, oh, you're in real estate? That's so risky. you know. And I always want to chuckle to myself and say, well, you know, I'm well diversified from a strategy perspective, from a geographic perspective, from stuff that I'm doing with my own brand. And exactly like you said, I'm like, you know, you may have a steady paycheck that comes every two weeks, but you lose that and it's all over. No, I totally agree. Great. So you recently did your first house flip. Can you tell us about the experience and what tips can you offer to someone looking to follow in your footsteps? And it's, it's kind of funny because I wasn't actually planning to do a flip at all. It wasn't a strategy that I thought was 
perfectly aligned with kind of my skill sets leading into it. But the opportunity just came up and I was able to acquire the property at a, at a steep discount. And, you know, one of the things that I talk about in real estate is, you know, having exit strategies. So begin with the end in mind. And so doing a renovation was definitely one of the options. And so first of all, I didn't do it by myself. I did it with a partner who was far more savvy in construction and every element of sort of a house renovation, which definitely is one of the lessons that I would say is definitely don't try to do it yourself. Make sure you have the right expertise. But, you know, one of the other elements is recognizing that doing a renovation is not as quick or easy or as straightforward as kind of those 30 minute fix and flip shows where, you know, 30 minutes later, there's a gorgeous property and they sold it in a massive profit. There can be through a renovation, a lot of things that you find throughout the property that can be more expensive. You have to recognize that there's holding costs. So for every month that you have the property in your possession while you're working on it or while it's not sold, it's actually costing you money. Definitely we're trying to focus on biggest bang for your buck impact and lining up all the contractors in advance so that it was like bam, bam, bam. And we were getting it done as quickly as possible so that we could list it. And so, I mean, it ended up being really profitable, but I think, you know, when it comes to renovation, you should, A, know what you're doing or get somebody else on your team who's got a background or experience in that, but also recognize that it's one of those strategies that can quickly spiral out of control from a price standpoint. You know, if the market dips and you were expecting to make, I don't know, $30,000, but the market's dip, you may have to sell it at a far lower price. And, you know, we all know from what's happened in the Canadian real estate landscape, the market can actually flip on, on a dime. So definitely careful planning. It was a ton of fun, but careful planning is definitely in order. So I'm just curious, would you do it again? My goal is not to go out and find properties to flip. If a property landed on my lap or it was one that you know I was working on, someone who was going through a foreclosure and I bought the house from them at a discount before you know the bank could ruin their credit, then I would evaluate what are my options. Should I rent it out? Should I sell it to another investor? And there could be an option where it would make sense to do some light renovating and then sell it. But going out to find renovations is definitely not a priority for me. Okay, fair enough. So you're a big proponent of negotiating. How can someone become a better negotiator, especially in real estate? Well, I think kind of the same principle applies for negotiating in general, let alone real estate. And I think sometimes we get too caught up in what it is that we think that we want. So for example, like if you're negotiating with an employer and you know, you're going to get a new job and you think, yes, I want more money. I want more money. I want more money. Sometimes if you stop and you ask yourself, what is it that I really want? You may find that the answer is a little bit different. And when you approach a negotiation from a little bit of a different strategy, so maybe it's something that's more creative, you're more likely to find a win-win. So, you know, let's say you want to have a bit more money and a signing bonus, a small one, because you want to buy, I don't know, the latest iPhone. And so if all you're doing is saying, I want more money, it's really tough for the employer to come back. But if maybe you said, hey, can you throw in a corporate phone that they cover from a different budget, you're more likely to get what it is that you're looking for. I'd say the same kind of thing when you're talking about real estate. It's not only about, okay, I want to buy at the lowest price, the lowest price, the lowest price. If it's a property that you're going to use for investment property, 
I mean, maybe you've got a two month window and during the two months before you close, they let you come in and do some, you know, light renovating. Maybe you can bring a bunch of tenants so that the day after you close, you can have the tenants move in. But when you really think about what it is that you want, you can come to the negotiating table with more creative asks. And that's generally where you find more win-win opportunities. Right. That's some wonderful advice. So Limor, it's been great to have you on the show today. Before I let you go, is there anything of interest that you're working on that you'd like to share with our listeners? Always exciting projects on the go, but where I've been doing a lot of focus in the last little while is coaching, particularly around the RSP investing strategy. I mean, we all are hopefully saving for our future. Many of us work for corporations where they match a part of our money or they match part of our contribution. And then, you know, our money is just growing at one, two, 3%, but recognizing that you can really get so much further ahead when you invest in private mortgages. So I've been doing a ton of coaching in that space over the last little while. So if any of your listeners are interested, the best place to reach out to me is over on my website, leemore.money on the contact form that goes right into my inbox. And I'd love to be able to help more individuals really secure an incredible future. Awesome. I'll be sure to include that in the notes of the show. So thanks so much, Leemore. It's been wonderful to have you on the show. Thanks, John. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Burn Your Mortgage podcast. Besides being a podcast host and money coach, I'm also a licensed mortgage broker. If you or anyone you know, family, friends, co-workers, or neighbors could ever use any unbiased mortgage advice or a second opinion, feel free to reach out. You can reach me by email at seancooperwriter at gmail.com or you can call or text me at 647-867-3711. Also, be sure to head on over to www.seancooperwriter.com and sign up for my free weekly newsletter. As a small token of my appreciation, you'll be able to download my ultimate mortgage checklist on choosing the perfect mortgage. You can also sign up for a free one-on-one 15-minute money coaching consultation with yours truly. I look forward to hearing from you and helping you burn your mortgage sooner too. Once again, thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and leave a rating. Until next time, happy mortgage burning.